0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Placing Faces, the show where we sit down with some of the most influential casting directors in all of Hollywood and across the entertainment spectrum. I'm your host, Charlie Chapel, and today we sit down with Sarah Isaacson. Sarah is enthusiastic, energetic, assertive, and earnest, and talking with her was a real treat. She offers a great look into getting a job in casting, Moving up the ranks from assistant to associate, from associate to casting director, and what actors really need to do to be ready for auditions. Sarah's projects include Fringe, Bates Motel, Law and Order, True Crime, The Menendez Murders, Midnight Texas, Scream the Series, The Mentalist, and more. She's got some great stories, words of wisdom, and lots of advice. So let's dive right in, and I hope that you learn as much as I did. I used to go to school here.
1: In this building?
0: In this building. In Which this was room. What? This what? was the New York Film Academy for a while. It's now, no, I, I think it's across the street for the most part, yes. but it used to be bigger.
1: That's if, incredible. When yeah. was that? A decade ago. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember what you had in this class?
0: Uh, this was producing. Oh. Yeah.
1: We are only in this space because of the pilot that we're wrapping up right now. Okay. So um, I don't have a permanent office. Mm-hmm. I just go wherever the show puts me, which is right now here at Universal, um, and we're wrapping up this week.
0: Nice. How's it feel making it through another pilot season? <laughs>
1: Survived. This was a really great process. This pilot uh, was for ABC Universal, mm-hmm. and it was a fantastic process um, called The Baker and the Beauty. So Keep maybe by the time this airs, yeah, it will be picked up to series or not. Or not. Or no one will ever see it.
0: That is the gamble. That's right. Every <laughs> single year.
1: Every year. Yeah. You... You work so hard in the hopes of someone actually seeing it. And then more often than not, Just it evaporates. Evaporates. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Yeah.
0: Three months of work, more or less, if not more than that, because you're probably prepping. When, when are you actually, this is, a, I'm, I'm not even on topic yet. Yes. When are you starting preparations for pilot season?
1: Well, um, the deal is usually like a 10-week deal Mm -hmm. so um, depending on when we start shooting it's usually six to eight weeks worth of casting okay Um, and that's where we were on this particular pilot so we finished our eight series regulars within the first six weeks so six seven weeks something like that
0: okay so the the grunt of the work is finding those main six stay the the people who were there every single week
1: the and, series regulars. Yeah, the, your series regulars. Yes, this particular pilot had <laughs> eight, and so um, once the eight are cast in this particular pilot, uh, there was only one or two other guest star roles. so okay. it was a so we, the last couple of weeks have been really quiet.:
0: Yeah, fairly contained project. Yes sounds like. Let's jump back to the beginning of everything like <laughs> we do with this. The best place to start is the beginning. Where do you come from and how did you get here??
1: Born and raised in Chicago, mm-hmm. moved to L.A. 19 years ago. Um, I was in school at Columbia College, and my guidance counselor, Terry McCabe, who was a great theater director in Chicago, pulled me aside and said, you're failing. You're failing out of school. Get out. Go do something else. You already know that you want to be in casting. Um, get out.
0: So you already knew at that point?
1: I did. I, had, I was working at Steppenwolf Theater.
0: Okay, how how did
1: that happen yeah my uh, one of my very best friends John Wilner who's an actor uh, at Columbia was working in the box office and I needed a job and he introduced me to the people at the box office and I started working in the box office and I was then also interning in a casting office in Chicago so I was missing classes to take shifts at Steppenwolf and to take shifts at the casting office never going to class and that's when my teacher was like, well, you're already doing what you want to be doing. You don't then also need to go to school. Have an
0: education I have to a, do that. Yeah. yeah.
1: I don't recommend not going to school. Go to school if that's what you want to do. For me, it was not my thing. So I left two and a half years into Columbia College and drove out to L.A. with John. He was in one car. I was in another car. We bought walkie-talkies from the Sharper Image because at the time, 19 years ago, There wasn't this, you know, we had flip phones, right? So we had um, these walkie-talkies and drove out. I got an internship with Jeff Greenberg for pilot season and then moved back to Chicago during hiatus, and then Jeff offered me a job back um, working on Frazier. So I moved back to L.A. to take that job, but that went away.
0: I was going to say, that didn't show up on your IMDb. Correct,
1: (laughs) because at the time... Uh, Colin Daniel was his assistant and he was leaving to go work on the pilot of Gilmore Girls. Mm. So when I moved to L.A. Um, to take the, over Colin's job at Jeff Greenberg, Colin decided that he actually wanted to stay with Jeff. So I was then stuck looking for a job. So that's when I got the job working with Jamie Wadofsky and Mark Casey on the pilot reshoots of Gilmore Girls and that was my first job.
0: It was the pilot reshoots that you were on. Correct. Right. So
1: we I was around for when they cast Jared Padalecki, mm-hmm. Milo Ventimiglia, Melissa McCarthy. Um, and then I did the first year and a half with them. Cool. And then that's when I left. I may be skipping ahead, but that's when I then left to go work with John Levy.
0: So let's, let's step back just a little bit. You knew that you wanted to be in casting. How? Because um, most people, that's not the first. Most people that we've talked to, it's yeah. been... I, w- I was acting, or I went into the agency world. I didn't really know, and then I kind of discovered, oh, this is the thing, but... You well, knew from an early start, it sounds
1: like. I did. I was, of course, acting, as everyone does as a child. Um, local productions in Chicago. My freshman or sophomore year acting teacher was um, had all of us do scenes from George and Martha from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which no 18- or 19-year-old should be doing. <laughs> and there were students who were like, doing it like actually doing George and Martha and I thought oh I don't want to be that vulnerable and like work that hard to do that that is for that person up there I don't want to do it and I remember recording episodes of TV shows that shot in Chicago to watch the actors that I knew from Chicago theater so at the time it was early edition which yeah. Kyle Chandler in early love edition. I love early edition. Cupid. There was a show, Jeremy Piven was in a show called Cupid that shot in Chicago. ER, which at the time, mm-hmm. you know, often shot in Chicago. And so I was so curious about the Chicago theater actors that I saw on stage, you know, watching them on TV shows. But the turning point, and I tell this to Deborah Zane every time I see her, is I saw the movie Traffic. Mm-hmm. And I remember taking out a piece of paper and pen and writing down character names because I wanted to look up who those actors were because they were such great faces and Uh. so many interesting characters. So that was the movie that I realized, huh, what is this thing that I'm doing, which is like looking up actors? And then the interning in the casting office really shifted everything for me. Because I was able to read with actors and I was watching the casting directors, book actors, you know, jobs, which is always the best part is, like, giving actors uh-huh. jobs. I don't remember a specific moment where I thought I want to be a casting director. Just all, all the pieces just started to fall into place.
0: Mm-hmm. So how long was that internship?
1: In Chicago? Yeah. Oh, boy. I don't remember.
0: Was it, it enough time couple, to, like, find your years. feet? Find your bearings? Yeah, worth? but it was
1: also, like, commercials and industrials and, like, PSAs. Ah. It wasn't anything... Not a lot of
0: narrative coming through.
1: No, not at all. Okay. Um, But I knew it was something that I really wanted to be a part of.
0: Mm -hmm. So then that move from Chicago. uh, So there's another... There's very few resources with casting directors out there, as we've talked about. Um, But there is one backstage article of yours from 2014 that I'm going to reference a couple times. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) I want to talk about something that you briefly mentioned. Just working at Steppenwolf, were you... Were you touched by that? I don't know how else to put that. Were, yeah. were, like you're, you're, It's one of the highest regarded theaters in the nation. Yes. With, and I mean, if you, if you don't know, uh, if you're listening to this and you don't know what Steppenwolf is, it was started by Terry Kenney and Jeff Perry and Gary Sinise in 74. They brought in six more members uh, r- roughly a year after that with John Malkovich, Laurie Metcalf, who I love. Um, really wonderful actors. A lot got their start. Yeah. In that theater.
1: I should clarify, I, my work at Seven was Sh- sure. box office, yes. subscriptions, house managing. It wasn't, Phyllis Sharinga was the casting director mm-hmm. at the time, and she let me sit in on one set of auditions. She did, for, okay. For um, uh, Cuckoo's Nest, which was magic, it was like a, the most magical day for me. But I would often take my breaks and sit in the back of the theater when nobody was watching and watch Rondi Reed. Uh, in rehearsals for Beauty, Queen of Lanon, or Martha Plimpton and Tim Hopper in Glass Menagerie. And I would sit in the balcony and hope that no one caught me. And I feel like that is where I cultivated my taste, Mm. um, that I was able to even just be around them. And in the time that I worked there, I got to see every show. So I got to see John Mahoney and... um, gary sinise and sally murphy and k todd freeman and tim all these incredible actors i got to see them so up close as Mm -hmm. both human beings like in the green room like you know hanging out smoke you at the time you could smoke a cigarette in the green room and then all of a sudden they're on stage and you're like what is happening these people are unbelievable so crazy talented laurie Metcalf, i mean just i could go on the ensemble is so in incredible so I I feel very lucky, very lucky, that I got to be uh, in that community, even even if it wasn't in the artistic side of it.
0: But even being in the wings in that kind of community is pretty rad.
1: Unbelievable, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: like the form formative of, well, like you said, taste, because yes. that's, that's one of the things we've talked about multiple times on this show, taste is what casting directors have to trade on. Yes, um, I
1: feel very, like I said, very lucky that I grew up seeing theater, in Chicago, my mom would take me to every play. We were ushers. There was an um, organization called the Saints, which was a volunteer-based organization that you would volunteer to usher. You'd have to wear black pants and a white blouse. And um, my mom—I wasn't old enough, but my mom sort of like ushered me into the- that world. And we would every weekend like go out and see plays in in theater. And so um, you would
0: usher people, and then you yeah, would get to sit and watch the.
1: yes you know you go see a play and someone hands you a program a lot of like some of the big places probably in la have their paid staff or something but in chicago you would just have some volunteer and then you'd get to see and watch the play for free so um that just being around that um seeing so many plays and watching so many actors i feel like that's where i cultivated my taste
0: Mm -hmm. that's a good place to cultivate taste yes Uh, because theater, not a lot of people pay attention to that out here. I do. Unfortunately. Uh, Good, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So one of the earliest shows that you worked on, that you mentioned, uh, uncredited as a casting assistant for all of season one. I hate to say it, I've never seen the Gilmore Girls, but I've I've heard it is a really great show Mm -hmm. and worth a watch. Are there any lessons from that first show that have kind of stuck with you, or just moments that have stuck with you from being a part of that?
1: Wow, that's a good question. I was so young. <laughs> yeah. I was so young. I was very young when that happened. Um, it was super cool to watch Amy Sherman Palladino in the room mm-hmm. when I was lucky enough to be in the room um, because she's a really incredible force of nature in the room. And um, but no, I am. Um, you know, it was interesting because Jamie Rodowski and Mara Casey was their first big show as casting directors. Um, and so it was, it was actually really awesome to be a part of that, watching them create the world of Gilmore Girls as mm-hmm. new casting directors because they had been associates. Um, I can be a little bit off on that, but I think that they were associates and it was their first casting director job. Okay. Um, and then it was my first casting assistant job. So, mm-hmm. um, Oh, I can't say this. They did not hire me at first because in the meeting – they felt that ultimately we would all be too chatty, which I love.
0: You just got along too well.
1: Yes, and three chatty women who like to, you know, talk about casting or boys or whatever. And so I probably learned then to just be mindful of how much talking happens. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like you know, uh, there's a time and place to for sure. Speak your voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You gotta cut that, Maria. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, So uh, one of the next projects that you worked on, not immediately after that, but a a very formative one, at least according to um, this article that I'm talking about, um, was ER. Uh, You worked on ER as an associate for 88 episodes from 2002 to 2006. Is that true? Yeah, it is, at least according to IMDb. I don't know how true it actually is sounds
1: about right sounds right
0: in this other interview actually without hesitation you say that er was um, one of your most rewarding casting experiences you worked for nearly five seasons started on season nine of a show that you had already been watching that you were familiar with um you know and understand the tone how much do you feel like you were able to contribute to the casting process early on because you were familiar with
1: so john levy the casting director and I got along very well and I was very much I started I think I started as an assistant and then may have been promoted to associate somewhere along the way Mm -hmm. he and I collaborated in that we this was back in the days where you put headshots on the floor and like you know wait for the messengers to come and you'd open up envelopes and pull out headshots so it was very much his show and he had me be a part of it in that we would talk about mixing, you know, making dysfunctional families is what he would call it. He would, you know, uh, often we would have two actors come in at the same time if they were playing husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend or, and so we would mix people together. We would say, you know, Billy and Sally, they'd be, they'd look like they would, you know, be great together. And they'd come in together and read together. Um, So we would collaborate in that way, but it's always very much his, Show and he allowed me to introduce him to Chicago actors, like and anybody that I saw in theater. Uh, he would allow me to bring in, but it was very much I'd turn to him and he would decide if you know they could come in or not. I never, I don't, I don't have a memory of just deciding who would come in. Sometimes he'd leave me alone in the room with producers, but more often than not, it was he ran that room. Um, he and I would collaborate on who would come in to read and often he would let me bring in, you know, the Chicago actors that I knew growing up. So does that make any sense? Yeah. I
0: mean, it sounds like there is a lot of contribution and it sounds like, because I've never, we've never discussed on the show the idea that an associate has changed like what an associate does or how an associate comes to that job has changed over the years because of course it has that totally makes sense that it would
1: yeah and and then there are some you know associates that have been associates for years and years who are very much a casting director yeah but you wouldn't necessarily know that unless you happen to know that person and there are some people who get casting director credit because they've been an associate for so long and the casting director wants to give that associate a bone so they'll you know give them casting director title but may not be able to do the work of a casting director so it varies from office to office
0: mm-hmm. how much do you think the early and i'll call it success because when you if you're to come out to los angeles or to, go, to move to new york and you land on a show that you're familiar with and that you're like, you're in love with. And yeah, that's success. It was a, wild.
1: A- I, I grew up watching ER with my mom in the kitchen on Thursday nights at nine o'clock uh-huh. uh, watching, you know, Dr. Carter and Abby Lockhart and all these <laughs> characters. And then Cut to me being on the Warner Brothers lot and Dr. Carter saying, hey, Sarah. And you're like, why, why does Dr. Carter know my name? <laughs> and being... Because we would go to a table read every week. We were on the Warner Brothers lot, which is where the set was. And I would go to set. And John was always so inclusive, which which is why even to this day, 19 years later, it's still my most favorite job. Mm-hmm. And I have worked with awesome, awesome people and then awesome shows. And because probably because it was my first you know big experience, and because it was e r and it was so iconic already that i walking into that it felt like like a huge gift i couldn't i couldn't believe I still can't believe it yeah
0: how formative was that in the sense of this is what I do now
1: this everything is- i I still give John levy credit for everything yeah, and i he and I still have a great relationship um uh, specifically this pilot, every step of the way I would hire someone, I'd call and tell him I'd have a, I have a problem Uh, with the producer. I call and talk it out with him. He's still my go-to guy. Like I, I consider him a great dear friend and mentor. And, um,
0: are there any bits and pieces of your process that you can trace back to everything? Everything. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Everything. But both Steppenwolf and John Levy, uh, Cultivated my taste and my relationship towards communicating with actors. Um, uh, one of the things John taught me, I have uh, my filter is not very strong, <laughs> <laughs> both in my personal life and in work life, in that um, I feel like if you're hiring me, it's because you want my taste and my opinion, and otherwise, don't hire me, right? And there's a time and place and I often share my opinion in my face and um, that used to get me in trouble a lot. Like, I don't like an actor and I would, Uh, you know, I would show it in my face, Uh right? So John often would be like, you know, essentially, watch your face, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm much better at now. And I'm also a lot more clear with my words. I feel like words really matter, uh, both in real life and in communicating with producers and, and actors in the room. So I learned all of that from John. Okay. and I have I learned it from him whether I implemented it at the time I'm not totally sure but over time I've learned to cultivate that more okay Is that?
0: yeah no no absolutely I mean there there, there are those early lessons that you're continually building on yes. throughout your career but there's still that foundational how do you do this yes that you have to learn from somewhere yes and it's and not and I've
1: also worked with a handful of people I've Worked at Lifetime Television. Mm-hmm. I was a manager of casting there. I worked with April Webster. I was an agent at Green and Associates. So like I've been able to pull things from other jobs that I have been able to say, I definitely don't want to do my work that way or that's a really interesting skill. I'll take that on to my next job.
0: Mm-hmm. With the idea of I, I don't want to work that way. I don't want to do things that way. Uh-huh. Are there certain things? Well, because, because especially if you worked on the agency side, there's an understanding that you get of more of the complete process. I think everybody should work every position on a film set and, and from pre-production to post-production to understand mm-hmm. how the whole sausage is made. Because yeah. it, there's a lot of steps to it and a lot of people, especially actors, tend to not know who does what else. And I think that's unfortunate. Through doing all the other things that you've done, are what sort of lessons does that bring into casting? and how to navigate the world.
1: Well, I will tell you that um, working as an agent, I'm not totally sure that actors will ever fully understand how hard it is to be an agent, or how much work goes into even just trying to get one audition for one client. I, I, as a casting director, you release a breakdown and 3,800 people can be submitted. Mm-hmm. And as an agent, you are positive that your client is perfect for it. And the casting director, depending on the role, will see 10, 15, 30, 40 people for it. So to be the agent that gets through to that casting director to get that client an audition, it takes a lot of, um, uh, I, I'm not sure if it's skill, but it's ha- it's hard. Like, How do you break through to get into the door of a casting director, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it, was, it was really hard. It was really very hard for me, and I was not good at selling. Um, uh, actors that I knew probably would not get the job because I know what it's like as the casting director. So I was pitching, I'd already been a casting director and I thought that I wanted to try being an agent. So I tried to sell and it was really hard because I knew that this client wasn't going to actually get the job because I knew, I knew what the casting director was really looking for, but I still had to try to get the actor an audition of course yeah that's but i knew i watched that show i knew that they weren't going to pick him or her for that job so it was it was a it was a fine line between like pitching the client and knowing as a casting director that that person's probably never going to get the job but my job was to get auditions yeah it was really very difficult and also reading so many scripts every night and on the weekends with the hopes of getting your client an audition and then not getting an audition mm-hmm. it's like my god i just spent an hour and a half reading that script for what and some people love that. It was not for me.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting the um, the insight going the opposite direction because we've talked with a lot of casting directors who have been agents before they got into casting, and it was like, no, 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 no I don't want to do that. I want to mm-hmm. go do that other thing. You going from this side to the other side gave you insight that I think most agents don't even have. That because of course they're thinking. Yeah, my client's perfect for this, but they don't know what's going through a casting director's mind. They don't know Oh my know. god.
1: or how many people are submitted. Yeah. I mean, it's a mini miracle to get an audition. <laughs>
0: yeah, it is.
1: It's a mini just to get th- in the room. To get in the room, it's a <laughs> mini miracle. And then you get the job, that's a miracle. Yeah because it was like Monday and not Tuesday that's how you got it. There makes no sense mm-hmm. why you got it. Yep. Sometimes it really doesn't make any sense why someone gets a job over someone else. Yeah. Or that you even got an audition. And you know, as an agent you get these calls, "Well, my roommate got an audition, how come I can't get an audition? Because they're only seeing 12 people." Mm-hmm. And you and because you're just not gonna get an audition. And that and 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 there are some casting directors that actors will just never meet. And there are actors that I will just never meet and I have to be okay knowing that, like, there's just so many actors, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna meet them all. Yeah. And then there are, if you know, if you're an actor, and I, I, I wish that actors could understand that there are just some people that you're just never, you're just never gonna meet and that's gonna have to be okay. You're not going to be right for every casting director's projects, you know? Yeah. Um, often people will say to me, Um, How come you haven't, you never call me in? I get that a lot. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say, well, what have I cast that you think that you're right for? And then it's silent. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, I don't know, you're always working. And then I say, (laughs) am I? What have I done? that you think that you're right for. Mm-hmm. Because we're, we all hustle, so Absolutely. I can be really busy working on two or three jobs, and then I can also not be busy for five months, and then get a pilot, and then you're insanely busy for eight weeks, and then you're not again. Or an actor say to me, oh, you know, so-and-so doesn't like me. I go, well, a casting director. I go, why? Well, she hasn't brought me in in a year. I go, well, what has she done in this last year? And they go, I don't know. I go, Maybe she hasn't worked in a year. And that's why she hasn't called you in. Or maybe, maybe she read you three times last year and you were always just okay. And now she's, someone else is going to take your spot because there's so Uh. many actors. There are some actors that I will always try forever and ever that there are part of the Isaacson players, you know, that I'll always try to get work for. But there are some that I'll, you know, I'll try a handful of times and not that they're not great, but I can only try so many people, so many times before a new batch of people have to be come given. in. Yes. Catch your
0: interests.
1: Yes. Yeah. I have to constantly be meeting new people.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: What was the question? I'm not sure, but <laughs> okay. it was a great answer. All right, great. I,
0: I think it's uh, it's important information, though. Like there there are so many things actors because we have to. You have to take things personally. That is that is the job. When you go in and you perform, if you're not taking what they're giving you personally and then returning that, then you're not in the moment. You're not, you're mm-hmm. not acting. And then you have to turn that off when you leave because you've got to go to another audition yes. or you've got a class or you've got, you've got a million other things that you've got to do. But actors tend to, like, not turn that off often. I not. wish you would. I think so. Too. I, I wish... <laughs> And and sometimes it's really hard to because because just like you said with with being an agent you know I, I spent an hour and a half reading that thing sometimes you're I spent a day preparing that and I gotta thanks
1: yeah no thank you or and we've then, or we've made an offer to oh someone yeah. and we're not reading anyone why am I here yeah exactly <laughs> you know sometimes
0: know. that happens but. It is, it is the, the more you know about the process, I think the easier it is to let go of those things. And the longer you do this, the less you get, it, it, you, I think you start off and you get real jaded real fast. And then the longer you do it, that jadedness kind of falls away because you start to realize, oh, that's just how this works.
1: And if you had other things in your life that yeah. brought you joy and fulfilled you, you'd potentially be able to leave that audition behind a lot faster. Mm-hmm. So be in class, um, uh, go to the gym, uh, write. Make your cre- own cre- things. Exactly. If one more person says to me <sighs> that they're not getting enough auditions, that they're not getting enough work, and then I say to them, well, what are you making for yourself? And the answer is, well, I don't have a camera or I don't know how to write. <laughs> you, you, everyone knows someone who has a camera. You or You have can a write cell a,
0: phone. It has a camera You have a cell
1: phone. There's a there camera. There was a movie up.
0: in Sundance. Yes. Made on an iPhone. That's right. Don't don't make that excuse. There's
1: always there's yeah. always something. Um, and the audition is just an opportunity to get to act. Like if you are an actor and you want to act, you just got to act for 3 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's And hopefully all the, all the time
0: that leads up to that you're in actor mode. Yes. Like you're preparing it. Like there the work isn't just the performance the work is everything that leads up to the performance and the performance and then if you're lucky enough all of the press (laughs) and all that stuff there's a lot more work than just cut action
1: correct yeah yeah um I um I feel very strongly that everyone should be in a class so um when you do have an audition you are ready because actors want auditions they never feel like they get enough. And then when they do have an audition, it's like they can't put a sentence together because they're not up on their feet weekly. Yeah. And so they um, come into the audition. And because they haven't been practicing the same way you would if you're running a marathon this weekend, you probably spend all year training for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And the same way you would coming in for an audition, you want to be up on your feet practicing. And often I the, an actor will come in and say, well, let's just play. And that makes me insane because I feel like this is not the chance. This is not your opportunity to play. This is your chance to act. Go play with your in your class or with your roommate running lines. Like Mm -hmm. come in and do the work. This is the room where you get to do the work. If you're prepared by being in a class. I feel like personally, I can see a difference in someone coming yeah. into audition because they nail it. They're prepared. Mm. They understand. They've just been up on their feet the night before or the day before, and um, they know how to uh, put a sentence together, for lack of better word. Because sometimes, you guys, sometimes <laughs> actors come in and they forget how to audition, or they full panic, which mm-hmm. I totally get. And if you're surrounding yourself by actors on a regular basis, in class or in a in a group where you're reading plays out loud in someone's living room or whatever, or making your own stuff, when you have an audition, it's just another Tuesday where at three o'clock where you get to act.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's super Ugh. valid. Let's talk about another one of your shows. Okay. Let's talk about Fringe.
1: Fringe, oh
0: my gosh. You worked on Fringe. That is awesome. Love uh, that show. It's such an incredible show. I. I watched too many episodes again to prepare for this. Um, I've already seen them all. I've decided to watch them again. Um, If you don't know Fringe, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Uh, Created by J.J. Abrams, Alex Kurtzman, and uh, Robert Orsi. Uh, It stars Anna Torv, Joshua Jackson, Jessica Nicole, the incredible John Noble, uh, Lance Reddick, Kirk Acevedo is real good. Um, Another nerdy show that you worked on, are you a like nerd?
1: No, 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 no. I'm uh, April Webster. Um, welcomed me with open arms mm-hmm. after I left Green and Associates as an agent. I wanted to get back into casting. Um, I worked with her on season two as an associate. She promoted me for seasons three, four, and five as a casting director, and was incredibly gracious with her time and allowing me to take the lead on um, on that show and often I'd have to email or call a writer and be like, what is going on? What universe are we in? What alt universe? This person becomes a shapeshifter. And so when we see them in this scene, is it the actor that we're hiring or is it another actor? Because I couldn't track huh. the universes. I couldn't track the shapeshifting. It's so not my world at all. And because of my time working with april which was a handful of years and a handful of bad robot shows i sort of fell into that world of sort of alt-universes sci-fi it's not where i live it's not my jam but it was for those handful of years um i did i did did do a bit i'm not against it it's just not where i i sit personally i don't i don't go home and watch Sci-fi shows. Yeah. Um, but there was so much heart in that show. Yeah. Um, and the acting was so incredible. And because we shot in Vancouver, it was a really light show for us in that we only had, like, one guest star an episode. Mm-hmm. So we were really—and we had a lot of time So per episode. In other words, we were able to really find the right person for okay. every, every role. And so we got—it was Chad Bozeman's last— guest star role on television um uh Stephen root Romy rosemont um abtahi eric lang such incredible actors and because we only had one guest star per episode everything else was uh cast by jen page and corinne clark and jay risk in uh vancouver and they were awesome mm-hmm. colleagues to work with every week um but it was a real tr- megan markle did uh, was in the last season the Duchess? Isn't she? She had, was. Yeah. She did the last season, a couple episodes, um, and uh, it was an incredible time. And working um, for Bad Robot was. An How awesome did you experience. get hooked
0: up with? So, if you don't know who April Webster is, she's one of the biggest casting directors in the world. Insane. And she's a wonderful human being. The best. How did you get to working with her? <laughs> As a soap,
1: uh, started working with her right after I left Green Associates. Okay. So, and she was just so lovely and kept me on. We did, um, what did we do together? Almost Human.
0: Yeah, you did. We're going to talk Alcatraz. about that Alcatraz. Oh, sorry. I don't want to skip ahead. Oh no, that's okay. Ahead. Not not at all. I'm, yeah. And
1: and, and uh, Bates Motel, which was an incredible, incredible time for me, and the first two seasons of Bates before I left to start my own business. Okay. So I think like five years with her, maybe.
0: A good amount of time.
1: Yeah, she's the best.
0: So, so this is a situation where you went from associate to casting director. I want to talk a little bit about what does that bump from associate to casting director actually mean as far as like work-wise, mm-hmm. responsibility-wise? And then like what are you doing that is different from one to the other. Yeah. And what are you still juggling when you're making just making that first transition from associate to so casting director? So
1: every everyone is different. Yeah. Every office is different. The the terms are used so loosely. Um, in this particular case because April was working on several other projects, she was working out of another office. So the casting director and in, in in this sense, was that I talked to producers, I talked to the director, I ran the sessions. She'd come in and out based on like her availability on the other projects, but um, I'd release a breakdown, I would run the sessions, and it's really just the... It gives the producers and the studio and the network a point person, like, oh, she's the casting director, I can exchange information with this person as opposed to waiting around for... April, right? So um, as an associate, usually you would have to wait for the casting director to like sign off on something, right? Well, in, in this particular case, April just let me sort of fly with it. And cool. so I essentially ran point on, on Fringe.
0: How do you, f- do you... Do you feel like that was because she was juggling so much other things, you got that opportunity? Yeah. Be- yeah.
1: Yeah. I You'd have to ask her... How she felt about that. For me, it was, um, I felt like she trusted me with my taste and that the producers and I got along and everything still went through her. I mean, she was on all the emails. And um, like I said, she'd come to sessions when she was available or be on calls when she was available. But everyone also understood that she was working on other projects, other bad robot projects. So it's not like she was, you know, Working on other producers, it was, she was doing, I mean, I don't remember specifically, but let's just, I mean, some, probably Star Wars or something, uh, yeah. I'm, <laughs> probably not that, but, or Super 8 or something else, but for bad robots. So there were a handful of us that worked under her umbrella. Mm-hmm. But I still did all the assistant work because sure. it was a quiet show in that, like I said, it was just one part, two parts, three parts, maybe a week. Okay. So I still, I was the casting director, but I also still did like deal memos and contracts because it would have been really silly to have like an assistant around to do just sure. that.
0: Okay. I, I mean, it sounds like such, you've had a lot of really great formative experiences, things that have like shaped you into and, and opportunities that have given you like hit the ground running kind of responsibilities
1: yeah huh I guess so <laughs> I guess <laughs> we you don't have get to, a be chance thrown to look into back it. on
0: those stuff very often to look back on career and to see that led to this led to this led to that yeah um
1: I've been very lucky and I think that both April Webster John Levy even Michael Green they all have a tremendous love of actors and, and talking to them and creating an environment, a safe environment for them, and that I learned from all of them, mm-hmm. April and John specifically, because I spent so much time with both of them. Although April and I, like I said, we weren't often in the same rooms together. During the pilot of Bates Motel, we did that very much together, but more often than not, we weren't ever in the same offices.
0: Okay. Another one you mentioned, almost human. Yes. Um I loved this show when it first came out. Uh Uh, I was super stoked on it. Carl Urban is great. Michael Ely is wonderful. They're really great characters. It's really good sci-fi. And then Fox went and Foxed things up Uh. and killed it after 13 episodes, just like they did Firefly and so many other wonderful shows. This is another one that J.J. EP'd, um, J.H. Wyman uh, from Fringe. Joel Uh, Wyman, yeah. uh, 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 Does he go by Joel?
1: He goes by Joel, yeah. He does,
0: okay, okay. Um, I always see his credits as J.H. I'm curious about, at least according to IMDb, second project that you're working with JJ and Bad Robot with, because that's Bad Robot in like its upswing. What was the environment like to be a part of that
1: at yeah. that time? So this, I, I'm not sure how much of this is... I wasn't actually in the Bad Robot offices in Santa Monica, so I had an office. They kept moving my offices, and I was always alone in that um, April was on other projects and so I was in some trailer somewhere by myself. So I felt very Mm. disconnected from that world. In in other words, I didn't, it's one thing if I went to Bad Robot every day and I was a part of that community. I have met JJ many times over the years but um, I wouldn't say that I was a part of the Bad Robot world. Okay. It just in that um, I cast the shows, and every week I would get on a conference call with Joel Wyman or Jeff Pinkner. But I didn't. I wasn't a part of that community. Does that make sense? Yeah. So unlike ER, where you were there all day, every day, because your offices were by the production offices, by the set, and you were all a part of this family, that was not the case. For me, at least, April was very much over there.
0: Well, how often is that actually the case, then? How often is casting involved with anything else other than just the casting? Right,
1: subjects? right. Well, it depends on where the they put your offices. Ah. So a lot of casting directors have their own offices, which, mm-hmm. you know, I have had in the past. Um, but if you are on the lot where they're shooting and there's a table read every week or there's a concept meeting every week, then you feel very much a part of it. Like when I did Law & Order, um, my... Uh, we had sessions, and actually, that's not true. We had our own offices um, outside the lot, but um, we went to concert meetings. We um, had sessions with producers in the room often, so you felt like you were a part of it, and we'd go to the set because it was here at Universal. But with the Bad Robot stuff, it was you, I felt very disconnected.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about Bates Motel. Bates is a fantastic show. We've talked about it a little bit on this show with Jessica Sherman before.
1: Yes, she was my associate. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I'm really, like, I kind of didn't want to talk about the same things that we talked about, but I'm also really interested to talk about exactly the same things that we talked about because now it's two different perspectives on the same thing, and we can start to piece together a little bit more about how it all functions from multiple perspectives. So I'm curious, what was it like... Finding that iconic character of Norman Bates. This is a character that's been played by a lot of really great actors over, throughout the years. But what f- finding Freddie Highmore? How did you April, come across? Yeah, April
1: Webster. Um, she fought for him. He ended up uh, putting himself on tape, and he would not get approved without reading. So he really fought for it and mm-hmm. put himself on tape. And we had read so many. Guys, and some um, that were very much in the final mix, and then Freddie ultimately taped and and smashed the audition and was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I-, I loved reading guys for that role and for the brother. I mean, the sometimes you'll get a, a, a project and you have to you know you have to read hundreds and hundreds of people and you're like oh dear God I can't read the scene anymore. But th- this writing and these characters like I w- we read people. So many people, and it was a fantastic experience
0: what, what what is fun when it's fun? Is it that there are different interpretations coming in each time is yeah it... and
1: there and and good actors like taking on these characters and actually doing the work uh-huh. As opposed to just like walking and hoping that they're just gonna magically become Norman Bates. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> but like, <laughs> like, fun in that they, um, first of all, the scripts were so fantastic. Mm-hmm. And because we had the first season scripts available before we started, we were able to see the arcs. Like, we knew what, it was a oh. lot, it, it really helped finding the right actor because we knew what we were gonna be ask, asking the actors to do. And it was such a huge project for me to be a casting director on. So I took a lot of pride in in reading people and, and uh, working with April and Carlton Cuse and Carrie Aaron.
0: Mm-hmm. So you said finding the brother was also a really fun one to find.
1: Oh, my gosh. He had such fun scenes uh, that we would read. But uh, it was... Um, It was great because it was, you know, it was the beginning of me working as a casting director. Mm -hmm. So I took a lot of pride in that.
0: Yeah. How much do previous interpretations of a character?
1: I I never saw.
0: You didn't see any? Never
1: saw it ever.
0: Oh, no shit. Until
1: after. Huh. I knew nothing. I knew, well, I shouldn't say nothing. I knew that there was a shower scene Uh (laughs) and a knife and someone died. Yeah and there was an iconic window scene mm-hmm. like that's that was my frame of reference for
0: okay. Norman Bates
1: so i didn't know anything
0: so instead you're pulling everything off of the page it's all about the script that's in your hands yeah
1: i must have done some research i mean i know i must have done some research i couldn't tell you what it is what i did to you know now but um i didn't i knew it was oz perkins mm-hmm. and that was really the the extent of it
0: okay i mean that's that's absolutely valid I love the adage that work begets work. The more you do, the more is gonna to come to you. And I believe that doing good work uh, begets better work. Uh, as long as you're working with people who are looking to constantly grow. Uh, is there any criteria that you look for in a project before you sign on?
1: I like to work with collaborative people. Mm-hmm. People who want to hire me for my taste in my opinion and who want to collaborate. and. Um, may not necessarily always agree with me, but um, want to hear what I have to say. And I vocalize that. And often I'll say to producers, "This you don't have to agree with me. This is where I stand on this role. I won't say it again. This is how I feel. And it's your show. So you do you. Hmm. But this is, I feel very strongly that it should or should not be this person. And here's why. I don't ever just say, don't hire that person and not give a reason. I feel like I'm pretty vocal about why someone would or would not work. I had that very much in this last pilot experience. I was very vocal about who I loved and also vocal on why this other, you know, maybe someone may not be my first choice personally, but I can understand why they should get the job, even though personally I may not agree. I can oh. understand how someone should or should not get a job having nothing to do with my own personal opinion. You know what I mean? I, I and that's taken time to realize that it's like I can learning s-
0: to compromise a little bit in the artistic integrity.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. because sometimes the my favorite act, my favorite actors aren't, can't always get the jobs. Uh-huh. Uh, sometimes the person who's supposed to get the job gets the job. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and these particular group of producers really allowed me to uh, share my opinion in that way.
0: I'm and very that- lucky.
1: It doesn't always happen that it way. It doesn't. No, sometimes you feel uh, uh, squashed and that whatever you say or do, it doesn't matter. And I think, well, then what am I doing here? Sure. Why'd you hire me? You could have hired anyone. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of casting directors. A lot of us do what we do. A lot of us will probably bring in the same group of actors. So why pick me? Because you want to hear what I have to say. And you like my taste or you like my take on these characters because when we take a meeting for something. I read a script, I come in with a few ideas and say this is where I see the character and if I'm totally off or they hate the ideas, then they don't pick me and that's okay, you know?
0: Well, let's talk about the aspect of a casting director getting a job. (laughs) I've got a question about that somewhere on here. We've talked about it a little bit before. It's like auditioning from what a couple casting directors have said. What has that process been like for you in getting jobs I know uh, some of them have been hey pass this off hey you should hire her and that ends up working out really well but when you're going in and like vying for a job
1: you want to throw up a little bit in your car before you go in (laughs) just like an actor right don't you just want to throw up a little bit before you audition yeah you spend all night. Power pose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you spend all night. Uh, you read the script. You um, come up with ideas, broad ideas. I mean, I I often come in with ideas of actors that probably aren't going to do it or are on another series or not available, but just to give them a sense of type. That I'm looking at, like you know, um, I could suggest, let's say, Chris Pine. I mean, he's not gonna do it, but I can say the 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 next version of the next Chris Pine. Like that's where I see this character. In this particular case, The Baker and the Beauty, I happened to walk in with a pitch of Carlos Gomez to play the dad. He ultimately got it, which doesn't rarely does that happen, but that was a very fun little tidbit. So. You know, you uh, hope that they like you and you sit there for a half hour, an hour. You talk about people that you may know in common or producers that you've worked with or uh, and then you talk about the script and where you see the characters and you hope that you jive. Or, You know, in, in this particular case, I think a big reason why I got this job is because I had worked with David Frankel, the director, last year on Manifest and there were a lot of, we, we knew a lot of the same people, and a few people had said nice things about me. And so I, I think that producers, when I take a meeting with someone, they ask other producers that I've worked with. So I know that these they had asked uh, the producers of Midnight Texas what was it like working with Sarah, and they said nice things about me. But it starts with either your relationships with producers that you've built over the years or the studio recommends you. I met the producer on Manifest last year because... Beth Klein at Universal recommended me with no other previous relationship. So I just walked in and had the meeting blindly, said nice things, and and magically got it. Yeah. Did that answer your question? It
0: did. It absolutely did. Getting jobs in this industry is the hardest thing to navigate at first, I think. No matter what position you are on the credit scroll, whether you're a grip and a gaffer or a DP, finding that way in. And finding your kind of footing Mm -hmm. uh, is is a really really difficult part that's why a lot of people just don't cut it in this industry a lot of people come and go
1: well uh, more often than not I don't get a job that I interview for but then I see who get the casting director who does get it and I think oh yeah I'd hire her too (laughs) she's great you know sure or uh, someone will get a job over me and because they had worked together on a project last year I go of course they should get relationships it. And relationships. Relationships. And the same reason why I would get a job over someone else because of my relationships. So, you know, I can't ever... There's never been a situation where I've been like, I can't believe she got it over me.
0: Yeah. That's... Uh, I think that's great. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> so uh, I'm getting the wrap it up sign. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about Scream, the TV series.
1: Um. Eric Soulier, my business partner, my former business partner who uh-huh. we're still great friends and talk very regularly. He ran points on that. He and he I ran did point. Okay. Yeah, we did the pilot together, which took uh, 9 months.
0: It took 9 months to cast the There was a not pilot? a start
1: date. So, oh, um, okay. they just we just kept seeing more and more and more people and and there were several different groupings of actors that we tested or that could have gotten the role, but you know, either the studio network didn't like one or two of them, so we'd start over. And I think we calculated 35, 3600 people that we saw for those nine series regulars, and then in series, Eric ended up being point on them because I I was doing something else. Sure. I don't remember.
0: Well, I want to talk about the pilot. Uh, luckily enough, um, I had, I'd never really watched any of MTV's programming uh, until this Same. interview came yes. around. And I really wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was going to be, because I love the original Scream. I think it's it's brilliant, um, the way it's handled, mm-hmm. uh, especially at that time. It was just perfect for that time. And I wasn't sure if it was going to be dumbed down, for lack of a better word. And it wasn't at no. all. It's really well written. It's extremely well cast, and, and I'm curious now, the fact that you had nine months, how much stronger do you think you're able to, with, with that added time, how much stronger do you think you were able to uh, make that project through its cast and finding the right people?
1: Well, Listen, I mean, we, we could have six months prior found a cast just as incredible. Yeah. So many of the actors that we tested have gone on to huge success. Mm. There's an actress that we recast after the table read who has tremendous success. There, I, I, I could sit here and name so many people that we tested that did not get it that have gone on to feature films and other series. So the cast that we ended up with is. Awesome, and they're a great yeah, they group are. of actors. They are so mm-hmm. awesome. John Karna and Amadeus, and
0: yeah, I mean, Amadeus, just, who had Bex never really done much work any, before any, at all. Anything. he did a short, I think, before that.
1: He was really discovered working <laughs> yeah. the door at a restaurant, and a manager found him. and We read him like the next That's day. Hilarious. Yeah, he's he's spectacular. good, spectacular. Yeah, yeah, and he's doing big features right now. But so we really lucked out with the group that we ended up getting, but. Or rather, and, that could have also happened with three other sets of casts, sure. probably.
0: So the, it's it's funny that you bring up Amadeus and Joe, because I did want to talk, like, of, of this cast, they're all pretty young, but they're extremely seasoned, everybody except Amadeus. Like, everybody had, more or less, mm-hmm. seemed like they had been working for a while, they mm-hmm. have, since they were kids. Not, not I, necessarily all of them, but... Yeah. Um, I'm curious where curious where you saw John Carnack. I
1: think he just came in and read.
0: Just came in and read. Yeah. Okay, so you hadn't did you? Were any of these actors on your radar before? Probably,
1: probably, and very much Eric Soulier is is great in this genre yeah. and in this age group. Mm-hmm. So I give him all the credit for yeah. bringing in all these young actors. He's so good in that respect. Um, I I probably met a lot of them during reading. During a uh, Bates motel maybe I met John Carnon okay. during Bates for one of the brothers maybe um, I couldn't I at this point I could not tell you sure
0: <laughs> well how did uh, how did the relationship between you and Eric form and how did that partnership happen
1: um, he was working at Kritzer and I was there for a very, very brief stint on uh, Helen Geyer was on maternity leaves uh, during Dexter. So I walk I worked there for a brief stint, and that's where Eric and I met. Mm. Um, and then we always stayed in touch. And when I was working with April and he was at UDK, we had talked about partnering and it took a couple of years for us to finally, leave our offices I knew I wanted another season of Bates Motel he was doing horror story and then we both left without a job and to start a partnership and very very quickly we got Legends which was on TNT Uh, ended up being two seasons we did the first season and then uh we're very lucky to work the entire time that we were partners Mm -hmm. and now he's moving to New York
0: okay yeah good for him he's he's had a hell of a career um, you should interview him. Oh, he's on the list. Okay, for sure. great. Eric, hit us up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I want to talk real quickly about two more quick projects. Let's start with Midnight because I like Midnight Texas. That, that
1: came a lot. to me. That was an offer from Monica Breen, who was a DP oh, okay. on Fringe. Yeah. I got a call from Universal that uh, someone wants to make an offer to you to do a pilot. I go, what? An <laughs> offer, like who? Was this who? your first offer? Yes.
0: Awesome. I said, who? Who's this cool. mystery
1: person? And uh, Universal, Beth Klein, she said, I'm Monica Breen. I thought, oh my god. You just, because you never know. You, know you, you stay in touch with producers via Facebook, or you like sure. a picture on Instagram, uh-huh. and you think, well, they'll never remember you. And then I got this call to do this pilot, and she wanted me to do it. Uh, David Janolari wanted to meet with me, so we sat down together, and then I got it. And then we did the pilot together the first season, and then the second season, Monica left to do an overall at Fox, and so two other showrunners did season two that were on season one, and it was a great two years, super fun characters every yeah. episode. Another show that shot out of town, so I would really only do Where one. did that one shoot? Albuquerque. Okay. Joanna Boland was the casting yeah. director. She's awesome.
0: We're trying to get Joanna too. Oh my gosh, yes, yeah. she's the best. Yeah, we tried to get her really early in the process and my ignorance came out of just like, oh, what's a location casting director? Oh. I don't know what that is.
1: No, she, I mean, I'd say more often than not, the location casting director does the bulk of the work.
0: Yeah, yeah, I had no clue. Yes. So
1: She and I worked very closely <laughs> daily and every week I got a really super fun character or two or three to cast in yeah. every episode. and. That was a great experience.
0: Well, the main cast of that one is really interesting. Um, You've got, and I'm terrible with French names. uh, Francois. Francois Arnaud? Yes. Uh, Sure. Close.
1: I've never (laughs) seen that guy before in my life. I had not And Terry Dean, who is a a casting executive at NBC, asked me to have New York put him on tape because he was doing The Blacklist. I was like, I've never seen that guy before in my life. And he did an audition, and it was not amazing at all. But because NBC knew his work, Terry Dean said that um, encouraged us to still test him. So we flew him out, and of course, everyone, you know, fell in love with him. But uh-huh. we had read and tested many guys for that. But if it wasn't for, his work on the blacklist and Terry Dean already knowing and liking him and supporting the idea of testing him. I probably wouldn't have pushed it along because his audition was good, but I knew what producers really wanted. Uh-huh. And I didn't feel like that audition gave it, but because of the support, we flew him out and he, and he read with Sarah Ramos who was already cast as Creek. She was. Yeah, okay. Um, she had read with a couple different guys and, um, so that worked out that worked out real nicely, but literally I'd never seen him before in my life huh yeah,
0: well, this cast is what what I really like about it is it's a really true ensemble, like yes. he is the lead for sure you're following his story, but the show is Midnight, Texas, and midnight is the people that are yes. in midnight um, so the way that you've built that what's really fascinating is watching through the first season and you see them kind of come together like sometimes casts and ensembles don't really click together Mm. like they'll they'll kind of land in it and you'll see oh that relationship's good we can keep playing off that but with this one everyone kind of comes together it seems like you can play and with midnight moving forward that you can play with these different characters in in all of these different groupings that normally you kind of couldn't you Mm. would have to stick with i'll give
1: that Credit to the writers. I,
0: I, I, yeah. I think that there's seven, certainly s- something to that, but also in the casting itself, finding these people who all like in our first episode, Marcy Liroff, uh said that casting is a lot like planning a dinner party.
1: Yes. Oh, a thousand percent. Well, I can't when I have dinner parties at my house, I cast them. You I do. cast gatherings. Absolutely. My friends all joke with me, like, who's the cast of the dinner? <laughs> because we, I, I know a lot of people. I've, I have a great grouping of friends. But I only have so many people that can sit around my dining room table. So mm-hmm. if I'm having a dinner party or a game night, I very much cast my grouping of friends that, for that particular night. Huh. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah.
0: I love that. I <laughs> want to talk about that now. Uh, I don't know.
1: But my friends, my friends know that too. Cause they <laughs> will joke with me about like, who's the cast of this dinner party. Yeah. We have to go.
0: We're getting close. Like yeah. Okay. Great. I got one last. We, qu- we uh, got to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, I do want to take a moment to talk about the opposite situation that we talked about a little bit earlier when we talked about fringe, your transition from associate to casting director. Um, now on this show on midnight, uh, there is a an associate assistant that has been under you and I, I guess worked with Eric as well, Adam.
1: Adam Goodell.
0: Adam Goodell.
1: Oh, the best. I want to talk
0: about Adam a little bit because we never really talk about associates. Uh, um,
1: I'd kill him for leaving me. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best. Yeah. Eric and I, Eric Soulier and I, Um, we were partners and then, um, after we, we, we did law and order, true crime, the Menendez murders, and then we did not have a job and Adam rightfully so needed to go get a job. And so he went and took another job and he has been working nonstop since. And I have not had an opportunity to have him back. So, um, that's not true. I guess I did in this pilot, but he's, he's got a job.
0: What makes a good assistant associate?
1: again varies from every casting director for me um the ability to work in quiet chaos Mm -hmm. it is there's so much going on and if you can have your feet planted and you are calm and you are good under stress and you are kind on the phone and you don't panic uh, or if you quietly panic it's okay <laughs> cuz we all do into a pillow <laughs> into a pillow <laughs> yes he was thorough he is just a, had a great attitude really funny and really witty um, loves actors loves television loves movies had a great dog Hanks that he brought into the office so how can you be mad about that he was just it's why i loved i love working with Katherine Kaluki my assistant now she's just a, a great energy to be around and um that's really important with all the chaos that's going on you want someone that is going to um be cool on the phone and respectful and and good at good at the job yeah need mm. to go no, no no not at all okay <laughs> we can replace all... I'll, watch, I'll watch the time because he will go for another hour yeah oh, no, I, prom- okay. I promise
0: we <laughs> won't do another hour
1: well i will uh, that's that actually does feel really important to me law and order great
0: okay. great so uh, let's then talk a little bit about Law & Order, because I I did want to talk about it. We wanted to wrap up uh, in a reasonable amount of time, and we're not going to do that now. So, uh, Law & Order,
1: <laughs> yes. true
0: crime, the Menendez murder. Yes. I'm, uh, another French name uh, created by Rene Balcher. Balse. Balse. Ah, but also, R's? don't quote me on that either. <laughs> <laughs> it's French, so but- an E-R, probably an A. Yeah, that sure. right. Uh, it stars Edie Falco. Gus Halper, and Miles Gaston Villanueva. Yes. Uh, They play the Menendez brothers. This incident happened in 89. I was three. But I vividly remember the trials in 94. mm -hmm. Edie was nominated for an Emmy for this, which ultimately went to Regina King for seven seconds, but Edie was incredible in this role. A beast. Uh, Even though Leslie Abramson may have taken issue with it, there were a bunch of articles online about that. Um, But... Even Renee says that Leslie Abramson was typecast by the media at this time as this foul-mouthed, raging harpy defending these horrible monsters and goes on to say that she was tenacious. She didn't back down from anybody. And at that time that she was operating in the 70s and 80s, that was not a popular MO for a woman to have, to be absurdive. uh, And and he thinks that she largely got a bad rap. I'm curious what kind of conversations you had around casting...
1: it was Edie, it was Edie Falco from day one was we it? pitched Edie Eric and huh. I pitched Edie Falco from day one uh, to uh, uh, Peter Jankowski and Dick Wolf and there were a lot of conversations about you know ginormous start like insane ginormous stars to play this role and then with the support of the studio and network and Bob Greenblatt who knew Edie from Showtime and Nurse Jackie everyone very quickly jumped on board with Edie Falco and she uh, graciously said yes she was the first one on and she led that group of actors like a champ she was so gracious so generous with her time on set and at table reads. Lovely to us. Very supportive of all the actors. It really started from her, and every everyone just really looked up to her. And she was so, she was just so fantastic to everyone. So yeah, she was. She was. Uh, she was day one. Not day one, but very early on. She she said yes.
0: Yeah. Well, you say that this was one of like this is in the in the realm of like ER for you as one of those things that you loved.
1: Why? Because Eric, so Eric and I had been partners for two and a half, three years, and then this came to us because my dear friend Kimberly Hope is a casting executive at Warner Brothers, but she knew the Law and Order producers because of her work in New York on Law and Order, and Peter Jankowski and the line producer at the time reached out to her asking if she knew any casting directors that would be. Right, she very generously suggested me. We met on it. I was terrified because I watched all the Chicago Fire PD med shows, and that's Dick Wolf. And so uh, Eric and I walked into Peter Jankowski's office, and on his wall is the entire cast of all three Chicago shows, and I probably spent eighty-five percent of the meeting talking about those characters. And I just wanted him to get a sense of like my taste. And so I, uh, I was very clear that I watched all the Chicago shows. I was a big Law & Order watcher. And then um, we somehow magically got this job. I'm not really, till this day, I don't know how we got it over anyone else, but I'm really grateful for it because it was a huge beast and the most fun.
0: Well, how many, how many characters did you have to cast? This
1: 160. Time? characters and um, finding the boys so we originally uh, were just looking for the guys Mm -hmm. and we tested 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 didn't get it then we got Gus helper who um, is fantastic and I had originally, in the first round, tried to bring in Miles, Gaston Villanueva, but he was doing a play at the Pasadena Playhouse. He wasn't available. And so we kept looking, and then we ultimately did not get it, and we had to start over, essentially. And then I had found a note in my drafts folder. Don't forget to bring in Miles. And so I brought him in, and then he got it. But mm. only because we had to start over again, he then became available. Okay. So, so then there's the three of them. Miles, Ga- uh, Gus, and Edie. And then we went to town working on the rest of the roles. And it was so fun because we had a match. So many of them were real people. Yeah. So we had a match. And, you know, there was, we, we, had a little bit of wiggle room. Some around. liberty, sure. Yeah, of course. There, <laughs> Some there has more to than be. Others. You're not
0: going to get an identical twin to yeah. these brothers, to... right?
1: But even in the other characters, because they oh, were all, yeah. Yeah. you know, the the lawyers mm-hmm. and the detectives, they were all real people. Um, so we tried our best to match as much as possible. But then,
0: well, with the brothers, you're, I mean,
1: brothers, I, you, you want
0: so spot on, and and it's what's interesting about this kind of thing is the media frenzy around Huge. this was massive. So people know the detective. People still know who yes. the p- key players in this whole situation were. Yeah. So I'm curious how how that process of finding somebody who we like released- where do, when do you know to like let go of that Right. A little bit, and like, okay, we're going to have to swing a little bit this way. Well,
1: we did, like, you know, Josh Charles doesn't resemble, you know, the guy he played at all. But then they're, like, Anthony Edwards very much resembles just Judge Weisberg. Mm-hmm. Um, the boys obviously need to be, and uh, and, Edie. Be very, and Edie need yeah. to play very much close to the real people. And then some of the lawyers, we, we tried to match as much as possible, but we I think it was a collaborative conversation, both Studio Network and Dick Wolf and Peter Jankowski and Arthur Forney. Leslie Linka Glatter, who was the EP and directed the first two episodes. We we Nights and weekends talking about these characters and actors and who they were very collaborative. It was an incredibly collaborative experience. And I am just so grateful that they turned to us often for our thoughts and our opinions and um, allowed us to push through certain actors. And they were just the most generous, kind, collaborative producers. It was a great experience and so fun because we got to read so many people and meet so many people. If we cast 160 actors, that means I don't even know how many people we saw. I mean... Thousand. i mean probably thousands of people over the course if you're course seeing
0: just 10 people for each role you're seeing a th- over 1000 oh, people yeah, there oh yeah
1: 10 is nothing i, I know, mean yeah. i mean and sometimes like the the you know the protester in the striped sweater outside who <laughs> says you know uh can i get an autograph i've read 30 people for that part depending mm-hmm. on you know what was going on, so... Thousands of people. Probably thousands of people, yeah. Right. I mean, the brothers alone, we we did a, a nationwide search for the brothers. Mm-hmm. Lots of self-tapes and... But that was a really fantastic experience. Mm-hmm. And it was the last time Eric and I worked together, um, which was really special.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a great project. I highly recommend, it if you haven't seen it, uh, and especially if you just like the true crime world, it's... Super fun. It is fascinating, too. Like yes. I, I mean, I, I remember some of the things, but... I had no clue that they went off and bought a bunch of like crazy stuff right after it all happened. Yeah, and Just I, um, the way they framed it was really well done.
1: It was also a great experience because I did a lot of research. Hmm. I, anytime I get the opportunity to work on something where it involves like learning something new, that's so great. So I did a lot of crime research. I watched all of the tapes from the actual trial because it was the first time a trial was. like Court TV started because of that essentially I mean don't quote me on that but that was like early early where the trials were aired Mm -hmm. and a lot of like photos from the the crime scene I wasn't sleeping I was having nightmares (laughs) (laughs) but I loved every second of it because I love that crime world so much really imbibe
0: into that take a bite out of it yeah exactly that's a fun one Unfortunately, we have to wrap up. Goodbye. Are there are there any things that you are working on right now or any things that you want people to check out, take note of? Can they follow you on Instagram? Can they follow you on Twitter? You are can you follow on-
1: me on Twitter. I think I'm Sarah Isaacson. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Instagram is private. Okay. Um, so good luck. Yeah. You can try. See <laughs> if I accept you. I, I uh, know I'm wrapping up, uh, I'm wrapping up and this is, you know, the hustle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'll be very open and clear with the fact that just like any artist, we work until we don't work and then we need to find another job. And
0: so it's about time to find another job. It's
1: about time to find another job. But while I'm not working on something, I'm continuing to read, you know, watch TV shows, Watch movies, see plays. I, because if I don't, the same way if you don't keep up acting mm-hmm. lessons or whatever or classes, you when you do get a job, it's like you're you're you gotta get it's kind your of behind
0: feet. the curve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for uh, taking the time today and for being so open and and just a lot of fun to talk. Nice to
1: Nice to meet you guys. Thanks for having me.
0: I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun making it. Do not forget to like, comment, subscribe, love, heart, thumbs up, and share this episode. For just one like a day, you could change the life of a child. Super producer Maria Perry, thank you for being super. Placing Faces is powered by collaborator.com, a media production service connecting media professionals to companies, brands, and agencies, allowing you to scale your production based on your needs. We'd also like to thank our partners at the Casting Society of America, a hub of information about this branch of the film industry. To learn more about the society and what it takes to get into casting, you can visit castingsociety.com. And for all of you lovely listeners who listened all the way to the very end, next week we have a very special guest. Don't tell anyone. Actually, tell everyone. Miss Jane Jenkins. If you do not know who that is, look her up right now. Look her up it's going to be a good one. Trust me. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be well.